As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Chandana Ekanayaka, current co-founder and studio director at Outerloop Games. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Eka. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Very, very well. All things considered with this current world climate. We were discussing it beforehand, but um, doing pretty well. How about you? Yeah, I mean, we're uh, fortunate to be, you know, my family's safe and we're all home. We're so, you know, trying to figure out how to juggle uh, the time we have between my, me and my wife working in the same room. Like, it uh, just sounds like uh, your situation a little bit. Yeah, we were having a bit of a chat uh, before the recording about two teachers working out of the same room and trying to run video calls for students and all those sorts of things. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's fun and games, but I guess we've all had to try and make do in our various different ways and to varying degrees of success, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is Dev Diary Series where we talk to developers from all around the industry. They share their experiences, their stories, and basically the adventure that kind of led up to this particular point. Now, Eka, uh, before we kind of get into the actual career itself that you've had, I'm assuming you would have had some sort of experience with games before you got into actually creating them. What was your first gaming experience that you recall? Um, so I, I, I grew up, I was born in Sri Lanka and I moved yeah. to the States when I was eight. Um, so that was be 80, 1985, which is right around like, I think my dad got us an Atari 2600. And yeah, that okay. was my good, good starting first, point. yeah, first, uh, introduction to games. Um, and then, I think the NES had just come out. Uh, was it called the Famicom or NES there? Uh, I hear it was the, the NES as well. but Okay, okay. All right. um, I think that was really what captured my attention because we had, you know, we had Mario, Super Mario, and then Metroid. Uh, yep. And those were like... Seminal time, titles. Seminal. And like, you know, as an impressionable kid, I spent hours and hours and months... Uh, playing and replaying, and especially Metroid, I, I think I ended up replaying and trying to get all the different endings. Were you um, successful in that? Yes, yes. Because okay. it's, like it's like the only game you have, so it's like you just end up... You play it to death. You play it to death, and you just, you're just a lot more patient as a kid than yeah. I, I would be now. Um, uh, yeah, that, I, I think that's... As a franchise, that's did those really... stick with you, though? Yes, for sure. Those titles, and then uh, Zelda, um, the first Zelda game on NES, like that was, again... Uh, that system had just amazing amount of games. I think um, yeah. we, we, couldn't, we didn't we didn't have a PC at the time, so I didn't really get into PC gaming until later. But yeah, um, well, I'm much like yes. you. Yeah, I, I grew up yeah. on those same sort of systems, but PC was not really a factor at all in my life until I was kind of old enough to actually go and make an income and like a full time income, not some little part time first job thing. You know, right. once I finally had that income, okay, now I might invest in this. And even then, I'd been so entrenched in consoles at that particular point that I felt it very hard to actually adapt to the whole keyboard and mouse model and, mm-hmm. and all those sort of things. Now, thank God for Steam allowing us to, uh, you know, control uh, control functionality and all those sorts of things over the journey. It's it's helped bridge right. that gap for me. But uh, yeah, it sounds like we're not too far apart in that respect. 
No, we had, I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure it was similar to to where you are or you, when you're growing up. Like we, you were either a Nintendo kid or a Sega kid. Um, 100%. And so my friend down the street had the Sega, so we would, the Sega Master System. So we would go and like play each other's games and uh, borrow each other's systems sometimes to, because we couldn't afford, you know, both systems. That's, that's yep. ridiculous. <laughs> so did uh, you, uh, you obviously were talking about um, being based in Sri Lanka until you were eight. Were you, were, yeah. you expo- were you getting much exposure to games at that particular point or was it only really after you made the move that you started to discover them? Uh, no, we didn't have any game systems yeah. um, there at all. So, yeah, I was uh, when I moved to the here and I started le- learning English um, at eight when I moved to the yeah. States. And you end up learning a lot quicker when you have to, when you go to school and you're a kid, yeah, you're sure. like a sponge. I think it took me about a year to learn English and understand language. I think I had Nintendo Power magazine back the, around that time. Um, I don't know if you remember that, but... I yeah, like, yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with Nintendo Power. Yeah. We had a different range of magazines here, but Nintendo Power was one of them. Yeah, and EGM and all those kind yeah. of... Like, I would I love to go to the bookstore and kind of, you know, look through the... Read the spots off. Game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so then as, as your taste started to develop, were there any other mm-hmm. franchises that you started to latch onto or genres or anything like that at all? Were there any games at all that spoke yeah, to Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, from NES to Super NES, I think I got a Genesis after that. Um, there's a bunch of games. Fantasy, you know, like on the original Master, Sega Master System, we had uh, Fantasy Star was the thing I got into. Uh, the old Might and Magic games I got yes. into. yep some really good choices um, there yeah i think i just i was just a sponge for games so i i, I my other hobby was art so i was like kind of yep. grew up drawing drawing and things like that and that and video games together i think that's pretty much all my spent all my time dynamic duo is. those two yeah so that was like did, really you, did inspiring, you find but... that the games the interest in the games and the characters did that translate over some of the art that you were doing or were they still very independent in a lot of ways yeah no i mean i think i was into comics at the time and art yep. and so I, w- I would draw a lot of characters and you know like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a, a big thing then. Uh, so, like, playing the arcade. Oh, I spent a lot of time with the arcades, right? So, like, yeah. later, as, as I get older, Street Fighter to Mortal Kombat, Virtua Fighter, uh, the Konami arcade, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle arcade cabinet, yes. the X-Men game. Like, uh spent a lot of time with the arcades. When that was more of a thing, I think, than there it is now. Yeah, obviously weighing significantly these days. But uh, yeah. was there was there a game at all, or any was there this moment at all where you kind of tweaked that? Okay, I want to get into creating these things. And was there a game at all, or franchise, or was it just more of a culmination of experiences that maybe encouraged you to head in that direction? Right. So um, the game that I always think about was like a seminal moment when I would thought about. I mean, for a long time, I played games, but I never had the sort of the flip idea that oh wait there's pe- actual people that make these things yeah. you know like as like, i had no idea how games are made or who you know but oh like obviously someone's making this right there's a team of people or or, or a person making it so um full throttle was the game that oh yeah okay. uh, when i played that i was like i want to be doing this i don't know what this is exactly i knew i was like i was into art and doing you know fine yeah. arts and stuff like that and um that was really the thing where i was like okay this is the thing i want to be doing uh, and that was like right after like uh, when i was probably 15 16 like around the time in the u.s uh, high school graduation happens you know around that time 17 yeah, 18. Okay. um so i was thinking about like okay what do i do for past high school for college and things and 
art school was the thing I was really into because I was doing a lot of art and teaching myself like Photoshop and fine art stuff. And um, so at that time I was still thinking like, oh, I want to get into a career of making animation work for like TV or film yes. or things like that. And while I was all this time playing games and didn't realize like, oh, that's actually a career path. Uh, it's not like what is today where it's a lot more visible and you know there's a lot of schools dedicated to game design or, or game art or game animation that wasn't really it definitely thing. didn't have that back then yeah this is we're talking mid 90s so was there a pull at all for anything outside of the arts was, or any external kind of forces kind of pushing or pulling you in certain directions uh no was i was like that art path i was like i was like i want to do something related to art and if i don't then i guess i'll just get a dump some other job <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fair. I was, and kind, look, of, I was hey, kind of driven. You made, yeah, you, you you made a very good you know, fist of it. So it's, I mean, you know, scanning through all the credits in preparation for this and so many of the things that we'll discuss a little bit later on, it's a it's a fair rap sheet that you've built up over the journey. So I think you've you've made a very very good fist of it. Um, I think I think the the fact that I didn't know how hard it was to get into was was yeah. always good. Like just not knowing how difficult things are is is it's a good way to try to jump jump into things and try it. So. So how did that transition then start to begin? How did you actually get your first foot in the door? Again, I've got I've got all these credits, and we've got Virgin Interactive. There's uh, Bethesda, and there's uh, obviously everything leading up to today. But mm-hmm. how did that first yeah. opportunity actually open up to you? Given that you're saying so, I didn't really know how. Right. So I had when we moved from the U.S., I moved to the, the state called Maryland. It's right around Washington D.C. Yep. Um, also, where Bethesda, the game studio, is. Um, so I lived right near Bethesda. Um, I had no idea who they were. I had not played any yeah. of the games. I think this is before, after Daggerfall, and before some of their you know bigger titles like Morrowind. Yeah, um, Morrowind and Redguard, and then obviously everything yeah. afterwards. Yeah. So I, I I was going to art school, and then I came back home. I just started, and I was going to community college back home, and then uh, I met a friend who was going through architecture school in the yep. DC area, Washington DC area. And he and some of his other architecture buddies and their professor, they were, they were starting to do. So at that time, when, if you were going to do a rendering of a building, like if you're like uh, working for a client and they're like, what is this building going to look like? People would hand paint a painting like with watercolor or yeah, acrylics okay. or whatever. So they were like, well, we can use CAD and extrude it out and do a fly around in 3d. Which right, quite cool for the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they were starting. To, so they they started a company doing that. They were going to like do fly throughs of buildings and and try to make money while they were graduating. And they were like, "Hey, do you want to work with us?" I was like, "That sounds fun." So we started a company uh, out of a house when I was eighteen, nineteen, I think. Um, starting a business at eighteen—that's a—that's a fair accomplishment. We had no idea what I was doing. Uh, our, our, you know, their professor was the one that had, like had a lot more experience with it so yeah we essentially rented his dad's house and then or rented hung out there and then we were just working all the time not making many money but we we're just like learning like I, I was learning how to use like uh photoshop and three studio max which is yeah or maya you know equivalent to maya and uh adobe premiere and those kind of things way back in, then and uh we were sending vhs tapes demo reels of like our work we were doing around to local businesses Yep. Uh, and Bethesda saw it. They're like, these guys seem hungry and cheap. Let's hire them to do cutscenes. 
Dude, it's a good way to get the foot in the door. You kind of stumbled into it, but it's we, we, we stumbled it completely, stumbled into it. Um, I, so I, they were doing a lot of the environment work, and I was doing a lot of the character and like editing, and that's kind of because that was more of my interest. Yeah. Um, so the first job Bethesda hired us to do was uh, cutscenes for a game. I guess it was Battlespire. Yeah, Battlespire, which was like a Elder Scrolls spin-off game. Yes. Um, so everything was still kind of the Daggerfall engine, so it was kind of 3D, like with sprites. 3D spaces with sprites. Yeah. Um, so I, we did a bunch of cutscenes, like the intro intro cutscenes, all rendered out. Um, and they clearly took a liking to that. They liked it a lot, and then we did another game that never shipped called Tenth Planet. It was like a sci-fi game. Um, and in between those things, they're like, we should just hire you full-time. Uh, so there was like five of us. Five, yeah, five of us working out of a house, and we were like, we're not making any money, and super hungry. So they're like, that sounds good. So I got hired. Along so with how was that rest- for you, given that you obviously had this this real interest in games for many years mm-hmm. up to that point, yeah. and then all of a sudden you've very much stumbled into a job, and then they go and say, hey, can we make it full time? Like, yeah, no, it's great. How are you yeah. processing that at the time? And uh, were you able to kind of contain that at all? Or was did you have to have yeah. these releases? Like, oh my God, I'm working in games here. No, it's it's weird, right? When you're going through it, and, I, and now I look back at it, I was like, that's just, weird, you know, like a real random thing. But uh, at the time, I was just like really into doing the stuff. And I was like, oh, is someone's going to pay me to keep doing like cool art? Okay, sounds yeah. good. <laughs> um, so we moved to, uh, so this is the uh, Bethesda's main office in Rockville, which is like yeah. know, where the Bethesda Game Studios is. Uh, their main um and that was like 20 minutes down from where I live. So right place, right time, uh, all that stuff. Worked out perfectly. Worked out perfectly. And then, so we did, so we did Battlespire, 10th Planet never shipped. Um, Red Guard was the other thing I worked on that did ship. Um, did a bunch of art, like character art, animation work, uh, box design, you know, just whatever, marketing art. Um, and so went from there and then we started working on Morrowind. Uh, we did a bunch of stuff on that. Uh, character art and stuff and yep. again box box ui i i was kind of i learned but because of we're working on that sort of the startup i got learned to do just be an art generalist yeah okay um Jack so that was really trades. good yeah it was a really good experience and i enjoyed the variety so i would i would jump around from you know cinematic art direction to character modeling ui uh marketing box covers ads because there was you know print ads was still a, a big thing a big uh, thing back then so doing like doing mock-ups for that and things like that so and, and that never felt jarring at all to be kind of bouncing between those as much as you were kind of used to the idea and it didn't feel jarring like almost as though I'm, I'm kind of getting in deep with this and then all of a sudden i'm jumping across to something else no i think that's just the way i've always it's probably just matched my personality because i i like yep. the variety of it um some people like to just like hone in on a specific thing but like i like i definitely like the variety um Character, okay, character, uh, character modeling, character animation, and concept art were things that I think we're are most, more focused on. But I, I love like learning the UI and you know graphic design type elements and motion motion design kind of things too. So that worked out really well. Oh, fantastic! Did you ever foresee working on the likes of Redguard and Morrowind, the Elder Scrolls franchise, would become what we know it to be these days? Obviously, it's been a while since Skyrim now, but um, yeah, did you ever yeah, foresee yeah. that? Could no the writing on the wall. No, Bethesda was struggling. I think when I was there, it was a much smaller studio, and um, uh, and Zenimax, 
that sort of stuff, the merger happened and there was more funding to like make Morrowind a much yeah. bigger thing and take the time and finish it properly. And that, that Morrowind really propelled Bethesda, I think, uh, you know, cause that was like an Xbox original launch yeah. and that was the first time players on Xbox played any game of that scale. It's like, it's such a massive game. Um, and to this day, probably still my, one of my favorite Elder Scrolls game. So I just like the the Dark Elves and the and the setting and, and the fiction, like the look of that yeah. game a lot. So Yeah, I'm with you a lot on that. And actually that was my, like, as you just described, that was actually my kind of first experience with games of that kind and of that sort of scale as well. Mm-hmm. And it was because of the, the transition to the Xbox. And I wasn't even an Xbox owner. It was one of those things. I went over to a friend's place. He had one. I tried it yeah. out and was blown away by the thing and thought okay i don't have an xbox and i don't think i'm going to be able to convince the folks to be able to get one here so yeah. how can i get how can i get this pc this rickety pc that we've got here to run this thing right um because uh, I, I just fell in love with it at that moment so um could you tell through so obviously you couldn't quite foresee what elder scrolls itself would actually become could you mm-hmm. see that what you were working on with morrowind though was going to be this huge turning point for the franchise and this this high watermark and some one that some people like like we just said like myself who actually look back on it as still the best game in that franchise or their favorite game in that franchise at least i i don't think that was easy to see till it shipped and yeah okay the you know like it's before twitter and instant feedback and youtube and you know a lot of these things so it was hard to like you just kind of look at reviews and see what people are saying and you kind of you kind of get a sense that there's a you know people are enjoying it but yeah it's really like i don't think anyone really had a clue till it shipped and it just started doing well uh that was around the time when i left with us too because we had so i was in rockville and we had opened up an office in la through zenimax and yep. i was out there doing a bunch of other animation work helping out morwin and doing a bunch of other anim- animation work um so i was like uh, in la for that and then around that time decided to move over because had an opportunity to come up for matrix was one of my favorite movies uh yes that come out and uh I, so there's a company called shiny entertainment which is not around anymore they were making uh enter the, enter matrix. the matrix and path of Man. yeah yeah so i had an opportunity to do a lot of character stuff for that and i was like that'd be fun um so i moved from la los angeles down to orange county which is about an hour and a half south um yeah, okay. and and then south, another hour south of that is San Diego, which is where some of the Sony studios are, are, are there. So, yep. And it's San Diego Comic-Con. Um, yeah, so it's like LA to San Diego is about three hours. And in between that is where Orange County. Blizzard is in that space, in that same area. Yeah, yeah they are in the middle there. Yeah. So Irvine is right there. So it's like an hour and a half from LA. So we moved down there. My wife got a job teaching. Um, and then I worked at Shiny Entertainment with uh, Into the Matrix team. And that was... That was a really uh, interesting experience. So Bethesda was about five years. Yep. Start to finish, almost five years. Yeah, I've got I've got uh, listed ninety seven to two thousand and one. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah um, and I did a bunch of other stuff while I was Bethesda. I did a bunch of other covers and marketing things, and uh, you know, the variety is sort of been consistent consistent in my career. Um, Into the Matrix happened. Yeah, I got to work with the Wachowskis, go to meetings with them, and kind of talk about the Which game. Which being a thrill. It's, uh, it's amazing. Um, we had all these set photos, because they were filming the yep. movies while the game was being built. And they were because doing something... if I recall, yeah. Enter the Matrix was meant to weave into the Matrix Reloaded, if I recall. Yeah. Yes. 
So the Enter the Matrix, the Matrix, uh, the Animatrix, and the movie were all sort of these sort of extended universe pieces that would interweave between. So there's yep. in in Reloaded, there's two minor characters, Ghost and Niobe. They would go off in the movie, do something, and in the game, you would play Flash those parts. Yeah, yeah. And then the Wachowskis, um, they shot footage for the game while they were shooting footage scenes for the movie. It's quite cool. Yeah. And to yeah. kind of be a part of that whole process as someone who, like you said, you're, you're a fan of the original movie, um, mm-hmm. that must have been really quite exciting. It was really exciting. Um, so my main responsibility was uh, when I first got there was characters. So I did like 70 or 80 different characters for the game. And those were based on, we had like hundreds of set photos of the character, of the actual actors in, in the in the costumes, right? So yeah. and we tried to build those uh, to kind of replicate them in the game engine as much as possible you can on a PS2. Uh, well, yeah, there's, there's constraints for sure. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and then there's a story that the Wachowskis wanted to do. So we're trying to like find how the gameplay would flow. Um, the biggest challenge with that was trying to hit day and date with the movie. And that was like a big must. The game yeah, had right. to be out the same day as the movie came out. And uh, that was a lot of crunching going on. Try to hit that. Cause we also were like, Original Xbox, GameCube, PC. Um, yeah, the multi-platform you know. bit adds an extra challenge as well. On yeah, top of all that. yeah, yeah. So it was a pretty big team. I think it was a about a hundred folks. So it was interesting. Uh, you say you're from you're in Melbourne, right? Um, yes. So during Enter the Matrix, Shiny was bought by Atari, which was Infogrames. Yep. They rebranded to Atari, uh, and Atari owned a company called Melbourne House. Oh, right, okay. And that was a pretty big studio. Uh, so, and they owned Legend Entertainment, and they owned... Uh, it's another company that did driver games back in the day, uh, Edinburgh. So what they did was to ship Matrix, they brought people from all over those Atari studios, and they just, like, embedded with us at the just end of... all hands on deck. All hands on because it had to get done. It was a lot of crunching. Yeah. Way too much. Do you mind if I ask how long that was in the end? Obviously, we're, we're the talking end, flashback to. Yeah, I mean, many I, years think ago the, now. I think I, I spent. I, I, by the time I came on, it was like near the beginning of the project, so it was like two, two some year, two years, and the end of it, I probably crunched for the last year of it. Oh, um, ouch! Yeah, nonstop. And what, what sort of strain did that put on you personally? Like, how, how was that for you? Obviously, yeah, there's this great love of the Matrix, and yeah, and I'm sure it was such a thrill to be working on the game. But at the same time, those hours, I'd imagine, were incredibly unpleasant. Um, incredibly unpleasant. My wife certainly didn't like it, um, and we we lived pretty close to the studio, so the idea was like, oh yeah, I'll come home for lunch and blah blah blah, and then it's just not there a was so much so much pressure to to finish that. Um, and it was a time where this is 2003-ish, two, two, three. I didn't quite have sort of the perspective to say no and, you know, to like yeah. crunch and then sort of that was just the expected thing at the time too for a lot of studios. Uh, oh, it was very celebrated like, in a lot of respects too. Yeah, it was definitely celebrated. Um, I, it's not healthy. It's not sustainable. It's not healthy because after that project, I was just wiped and same with the rest of the team for, for months on end. Um, yeah, whatever financial benefit we got out of it, it was not. It's not worth the the time. Uh, yeah. And and sort of the the toll it takes on your body. I mean, I was younger, so I could I could take it a little more, but still, it doesn't mean it's okay. So still, a year of it, I think, will wear anyone out, regardless of their age mm-hmm. or stage. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I can think still the last, sympathize with that. 
Yeah, it's kind of fuzzy now, but I think the last six months was pretty hardcore. Um, probably talking 100 then, hours a week and stuff. So, But then you backed up again to be part of the Path of Neo as well. Yeah, so that uh, finished up, and then um, by the end of it, I was doing the art, art direction for the game and a bunch of other things, and then for Path of Neo, uh, they made me art director for the project. Um, in between Into the Matrix and Path of Neo, I think it was a couple years, um, yeah. we were working on some other stuff, and then the Wachowskis really wanted to kind of play with the idea of all three movies into combine into sort of Neo's journey across. Um and they wanted to do this really bonkers ending, kind of kind of make fun of themselves a little bit too, with uh, how esoteric, like so esoteric with the uh, the storytelling is in the Matrix yep. and stuff. So that was really fun. I mean, it was we we grew the team, hired more folks. Um, uh, one of the animators uh, that we hired at the time is one of my co-founders at my current company. We can get into that too. So we yep, we've yeah, been working we'll together for a long time since two thousand five, I guess. So. Um, and to the, so Path of Neo was really fun. Um, it wasn't like a hardcore crunch like Into, Into the Matrix because there was no expectation it was going to be tied to any movie coming out. Yeah. Um, we had a bigger team, but um, it was it was a lot more enjoyable because uh, we, good we to hear. yeah there's a lot more uh, content that we came up with too. It didn't have to like match a movie scene exactly. Um, obviously, a bit, we, bit more we creative play, freedom. What's that? A bit more creative freedom then, I guess. A lot more creative freedom. Yeah. Uh, the Wachowski did ed- edit a bunch of the clips from different movies, of the three movies together to, like, as interstitial, so it was really fun. Yeah, okay. Um, but we had a, just a lot of creative freedom to come up with stuff within the universe, so. That's that's yeah. fantastic. I mean, uh, yeah. And obviously, even within that time working on The Matrix, the, there's the very good and, the, and some of the very bad as well, but uh, sounds like you still got quite a lot from it, though. Yeah, no, it was a good experience. Um, I think after those two games, I was kind of ready to not work on other IP. Like it's, yeah. I, and this is this has changed a lot. Um, but at that time, sort of doing a movie IP, there's a lot of. Um, I mean, it's somebody else's property, and I, I completely understand why. But like the layer of sort of uh, approvals you have to go through uh, to yeah. get, you know, and it not necessarily from folks that are used to playing games. So like. Sometimes the gameplay suffers because we're trying to like make sure that this is pulled in a particular way, which works for the movie, but not necessarily yep. doesn't translate to good gameplay. Um, yeah, understood. Yeah, because there's those external constraints on the whole process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes then, a lot of sense. Right. So which I think that's changed a lot. I mean, there's been a lot of great IPs recently that are because uh, the people that are in charge of those IPs have gr- have grown up with games and know sort yep. of the structure of things and what works. Um, well, you think of yeah. things like the the Arkham franchise, or what we mm-hmm. saw last year with Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and there's there's lots of examples yeah. out there where it seems like that uh, that boat is starting to turn around, and people are starting to kind of understand how games differ to film or television, and how yeah. we can still utilize the platform in a more in a very effective way to still deliver within the constraints of whatever the bigger picture franchise might be. Yeah, I so, think instead of t- uh, treating the game as an accompanying app, or thing to this movie it's like they're treating the game as part of the ip is i think you know yeah. that's the biggest step um the difference like jedi fallen order was just fantastic i got there i thought they did an amazing job with that 100 percent. yeah so next on the the list for you is uh gas powered games and supreme commander oh just yeah a, so just, just um, a small name thing there yeah so uh after path and neo we had our first child 
and I was kind of getting burned out too. Just and we're trying to also figure out the direction for the studio, and uh, there there was a lot of a lot of changes at the studio level, and uh, I thought it'd be time to kind of move on. Well, also I, my actually my biggest focus was like family and like getting into a place where we can like raise kids and. Orange County is a really expensive place, uh, so we were looking into going back east, back back to Maryland area. My wife's from yep. that side; it's, um, she's you know grew up in the DC area or lived in the DC area too. And get a bit closer to home. All, yeah, all my family's out there. Her mom was out there, and uh, and then we're looking at job offers and things. And I had a chance to go back to Bethesda um, to work on Fallout Three, so I had been talking to them. Um, but like, I think my mindset at the time was like trying to get into a house that we can afford, and DC was also expensive. Um, so yep. I, was, I had. I, mean, I, I, I think looked... I know the answer, but I, yeah. I suspect I know the answer given that it was very much a family-driven thing. But is there yeah. is there any sort of lingering what if I stuck around for Fallout Three or? Oh yeah, because I knew I knew the whole team. Like all, all the people I work with are were you know became that team. So like people are there, yeah. been there, that are still there that I I started there with you know for twenty. Almost twenty years ago, so no, that would have been amazing. Uh, I, I regret it. I was gonna go, and then I uh, was, we're waffling, and I said no, and then right after that, I was like, oh, I should have probably gone because <laughs> the project <laughs> looked amazing. Because I, you know, I had got, uh, I still have family out in Maryland, so I go back and I visit. Yeah. I'll, I'll stop by Bethesda and, and and talk to everybody and see what they're working on, and they show me some of the Fallout Three stuff. I was like, oh, this is gonna be good. It looks amazing, and our director. Was. Uh, our director Isvan, he's like the, one of the most talented individuals I've ever worked with in the game. He's such a sweet, nice guy, and he's just was like in a corner just making all these cool stuff for Fallout. Like while they were finishing up, um, uh, I think it was Oblivion. Oblivion, yeah. D- DLCs, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It was like I think my our mindset at the time was like I, we want to try to get into a house and like we can because we were wanting to have more than one one kid and. Yeah. We we're just thinking sort of what's important for the family at the time, and uh, I think we could have made it work back. It just wasn't. Oh, I wholly the respect right that. Time. Yeah, yeah. So I did. I did immediately regret it, but uh, looking back on it, I think it's that's a whole different way. I don't think I'd be where I am now if I'd kind of gone back there. So, who knows? Who knows? Well, um, yeah, there's a lot of what ifs, but uh, yeah, you've you've done pretty well since, I would say. So yeah, it's fine. I don't, I don't think fine. you made a necessarily a bad decision. No, I think purely uh, outside observer, yeah, of course. Yeah. No, I, I, for me, like I like being part of smaller teams, and um, Bethesda yep. has certainly gotten way bigger uh, since since those days. And um, as I've gotten older, I, I my teams have gotten smaller, smaller, smaller. I just yep. sort of like, uh, and it comes back to wanting to be part of sort of the whole process and have a creative input and uh, collaborate a lot closer um, yep. when you're on a bigger team. I think Pathania was over 125, maybe. Um, so I was doing a lot of so I, producing and art direction um and you know working with the other leads but uh i like i like being more hands-on too um so yeah so we decided uh so we were talking to the studios in austin i think we were i think i was talking to star wars mmo oh uh old republic was just getting started okay bioware so i was talking to bioware uh it's another company in seattle then I had a friend at uh, Gaspard Games, um, so I, I visited and uh, we hit it off really well. And it wasn't Supreme Commander that I went there for; it was actually this other title that never shipped. Um, 
called what was it called uh, sorry we had a couple of names and i can't remember the actual uh, island paradise i think it was called um yeah okay it was like a really stylized cartoony wii uh, title okay cool like a platforming kind of thing and uh and what spoke to you so much about that what was it that, uh, that got, uh, the, got you over the line what was it about the, that so uh, oh yeah so the our director for that was scott kakuda who did he's i think he did a He's doing uh, TV shows now, but he he has a yeah, okay. fantastic art style, um, and that I just saw the art printed out on the walls when I was visiting. I was like, "What is this? I want to be part of this." Uh, so I went over there for that. But as soon as I got there, they were finishing up Supreme Commander, and uh, uh, oh yeah, so we moved from um, Southern California up to Seattle. Yep. Uh, Visualizing the map in my head. Yeah, so Seattle's, you know, the northwest tip of the U.S., yeah. right right near Vancouver, Canada, um, which is a two-hour drive from Seattle to Vancouver. Yeah. And then Seattle to Portland is a three-hour drive, so right, right on that coast up there. Um, yeah, and we live outside of Seattle, like 20 minutes outside in the suburbs. Uh, so we had settled down in a, into a house, started gas-powered, right when they were finishing up Supreme Commander. Um I mean, I had played some RTSs, like, you know, uh, back in high school, as we got into, P- I got a PC, I played a lot of Command and Conquer yep. and Warcraft 2 and uh, things like that, and got really, really way into PC games, too, along the way. Um, yeah, so Spring Commander, I came in, I was doing, like, some cutscene stuff and, like, trailer work and some UI, I can't remember now, a bunch of different things, again, just, like, whatever they needed help with, uh, I was helping out on on that just that that being flexible component from yeah. before that we discussed yep yeah um which has been which has really been helpful um for my career i think because i was able to bounce around wherever people needed help yeah of um, course and then soon after that i got onto that other project the the island paradise game um and then was we built the team up for that that was with thq at the time yep um that project had an amazing art team, um, and we have people that are at Disney now that was on that art team, uh, animators and different artists that are on various companies. Uh, really good art team. Design, we never quite figured out what it was. It kind of we changed. Like, it's one of those things where this happens a lot where you grow the team too quick, and then you have all these people waiting on to figure out what direction to go with things, so we're like, trying a bunch of things and, and can never stick to it. Um, yep. So that went on for like almost two years, um, and TSU canceled the project, right? which is the right call because they never quite found uh, sort of the core of the gameplay. Yeah, I understood. Um, so was this yeah. that point then when you're starting to have those? Oh my god, why didn't I stick with you know? Why didn't I go to Bethesda? Why didn't I work on Fallout? Because you've <laughs> yeah, you've, totally. You've been enticed by this project that yeah. then didn't come to be. It, and in the meantime, and, Fallout yeah, Three is there's no reduce. I mean, I guess there are with other with different projects, but not exactly like you can't rewind time and do the same thing over again. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was like, I mean, at the same time, I was focusing more on family stuff now too. Like we had our first yep. son, and you know, so like the what what what's important to me was also changing. Like, yes, like work is there, but like family time and spending, you know, like making up for a lot of the crunch time from before and with my wife and. Yep. Uh, seeing our son, you know, get older and spending time with him, uh, there was still, there was still definitely crunching, uh, even at even at Gaspar games at various times, just not as heavy or as prolonged 
long periods of time. Yep. Um, so I think about two year mark. Um, they did another game called Demigod, which was a Dota clone before that was popular. Before Dota was a thing, yet. Yeah, before Dota two, before the other like Smite and all those games. So Demigod. Um, yeah, there's a lot of a couple folks that were like really into the Dota mod at the time, the first Dota mod, um, Dota one, and um, they were playing it a lot. They're like, "Well, what could we do with a game like like that in, in a different sort of IP?" So they they called it Demigod. Um, while that was shipping, several of the guys decided to start a company, and they asked me if I wanted to be the art director for this company. Um, so the idea was take uh, the Dota ideas and make a shooter out of it. Um, yeah. Okay. So like, yeah. Like. License Unreal and make a Dota shooter. What would that feel like? Um, so I was like, that's not a fun. Um, so I left to form Uber Entertainment with uh, several other folks. Um, Which Uber has quite a quite a there's a, quite a long list of titles there that you've yeah had a hand in in various capacities, the likes of Monday Night Combat and Wayward yeah. Sky, yeah, and, yeah, and so, many more yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So we started Uber. 2008 yes 2008 yep um and we're out of a small office nearby and then um uh we started working on monday night combat and that was like some of the best times because like play testing that game we did daily pet play tests and uh, when you're play testing and building a multiplayer shooter it's like it's crazy you, you get you end up like yelling at each other and and just like having a great time and seeing what works see what didn't work and that was a real blast and we grew the company i think to about 20 some folks a lot of those were folks that we work with at Gaspar Games, uh, so we yep. brought a lot, of, a lot of people over. Um, I remember leading up to the announcement of Monday Night Combat because we weren't sure how it would be received. So we did. Uh... Oh yeah, I mean, I, so I, I do a lot of trailer work too. So it, you know, yes. again, like art direction and lighting and modeling stuff, and then I also end up doing trailers and website stuff too. Just. So we did our first Jack show. We got rides. we got a good reception, um, and the game was pretty playable after like 2009, 2010. Um, so we went to the first PAX East in Boston. Yep. And that was at the place called the Heinz Convention Center downtown. Before they switched locations. Um, so the first year we were there, we were setting up, and then um, Jerry Holkins from Penny Arcade, uh, who is also in Seattle had heard about the game, came by our booth while we're setting up the day, night before and played through it. He's like, oh man, this is amazing. So during his keynote in the morning, which they always do, like the morning of PAX, they'll go through and like talk about yeah, the convers- one, they, conversation. Yeah, and then... They do uh, the same when they come over here. Yeah, and people ask what they should go check out and they said, oh, you got to go check out Monday Night Combat. So the first day we opened, we were just mobbed with folks that were just wanted to play. We had like, you know, it was a six on six game. So we had 12 stations and then... People just came by and they lo- loved the theme because it's like kind of like this uh, weird like sports of the future with guns and like link ups and like Dota. Which speaks to people. Huh? Which speaks to people. Lots of different audiences there. Yeah. And then uh, like this, you know, so the Dota fodder type thing. So it's like this shooter, but with uh, you know, pushing lanes and it's like it's a weird, weird game. So uh I think the theme resonated with folks and all the character designs and things, so that was really fun. 
And so uh, from there, obviously, as I mentioned before, there's there's a yeah. long list of different credits you've been involved with over the journey. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, yeah, Monday Night Combat, a fantastic way to get that ball rolling. Yeah. Um, were there any particular favourites of yours through that time? Obviously, Wayward Sky, there's, I, I see just as, a, as an outside observer, there's lots of connection between that and what ultimately became Falcon Age. Certainly artistically, I, I kind yeah. of think, but yeah, were there so, any really favourite experiences you had from that time? So I was, I mean, I started in art, right? So I started character modelling and a bunch of stuff. And then and as my career grew, I started getting more into design work, um, game design and things like that. And uh at some point, while I was at Uber, you know, we had multiple projects. We did uh, Planetary Annihilation, which was a massive project. Um, yep. I worked on that. And then I, I did a kind of a spin-off smaller group. So we had like a seven-person group. So um, one of the things we're working on at the time, like this is 2014, so VR was still like the thing that just came out. So I had, And Valve is yep. down the street from us. Uh, again, right place, right time. It's a, it's a good time to be. Uh, they invited us to come by and look at their early Vive stuff before it was announced. Um, yeah. And that blew my mind. I was like, this thing, What if I get a chance, I want to make a game for, you know, VR. And uh, uh, so I put together a pitch, which eventually became Wayward Sky, and we were shopping that around, and uh, Sony saw it. And they are like, hey, can you get this ready for our E3 announcement of PlayStation VR? PlayStation um, VR, yeah. So we had a... We had, we had a prototype essentially. Um, it was running. It was made for the Oculus uh, mobile version. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. Oculus Go. The, the before Oculus Go. Sounds right. Yeah. yeah uh, it's all a blur now. <laughs> and look, um, there's, there's lots of different versions and those sort of things that come out. So I don't blame you for yeah. getting a little bit um, yeah. fuzzy on what some of those were. Yeah. So uh, we re- we quickly rebuilt it for E3 that year, 2015. I don't know. 2016? I can't remember. 2015 or 16? Um, uh, yeah, I'm a bit, and, I'm a bit and lost then I got yeah. So, I mean, Wayward Sky is like a third-person point-and-click adventure game with yep. a VR control, so it was really fun. So, I mean, I you know I was a project lead on that and did design work and art and marketing, all the trailers and the whole thing. So we had a small team, and it was really, really fun. And while we were working on that, we pitched another game called Dino Frontier, which was like this yep. uh, city builder... Surrounded by dino- Western towns, surrounded by dinosaurs, and you could tame them and train them, and kind of like a mini, like a mini city builder. And then that was also in VR, and so we, we signed with Sony for that one. Um, so we went from Wayward Sky right into the same same crew of six seven folks right into Dino Frontier, different genres, and that's always been you know again yeah. comes goes back to a variety of things I like working on like you know RTSs, RPGs. Matrix like you don't really shooters. discriminate in that regard anything's good no it's really fun like uh so is, there, I, I, is I, there a genre at all that you don't think you'd ever want to necessarily engage in is there something that just no that's just not for me i think 4x type games i like playing them i i think it would be i don't know how people balance those <laughs> so yeah okay. re- it's like well that's some heavy heavy balance work i think that'd be hard uh, to do yeah fair enough yeah but for most, a lot of other genres. I think also the kind of games I like to make these days are kind of more thematic based. Like there's certain themes I want to explore, or certain stories, yeah. or certain types of characters, or certain type of systemic things. Uh, for sure. And and also having a small team. So Outer Loop is nine of us. So I try to come up with ideas that could work with that scale too. Um, 
And there's other concerns like, you know, market viability and how does it stand out and all sorts of things too. But all those other so, considerations. Yeah. So while we're working on Dino Frontier, um, and I was doing sort of the business development and like working with the publisher on those things too. So at that time, I, I felt I had I kind of knew enough, to, and I also have a long career and got to know a lot of folks at different places that I felt confident enough to try to start my own thing. Yeah. Um, and that comes to, again, trying to be smaller, but also the type of games I want to make and, and uh, type of games I've seen out there. I felt like there's a place for sort of different voices and uh, a little more diversity too, which is a big concern for me. Um, haven't been usually the uh, very smaller one minority on those teams over the years. Yeah, um, understood. So I kind of wanted to kind of see some more of the games that had different types of characters and, and, and themes. So. Which really um, shows specifically in Falcon Age. Oh, good. Which good. we'll obviously get to in, in a bit more detail shortly. But yeah. um, that was one of the things that really struck out uh, struck, struck me sorry, uh, mm-hmm. almost immediately. Um, and in obviously a really positive way too. Good. The bringing um, cult, different, different cultures and different influences in that regard mm-hmm. into... Because you're right, uh, there's, a, there's a very general sort of um, car- uh, approach to character design and those sort of things that we've seen mm-hmm. for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that diversity is something that's absolutely missing. And it's not, it's, it's kind of a shame actually that we've not seen nearly enough of it over the journey. And yeah. Falcon Age was one of those things that struck me immediately as being, or as bucking that trend. Yeah. And I, I think I'm glad, I'm glad to see a lot more of it in indie spaces, you know, like yep. on much smaller titles, we're seeing a lot more variety. Cause I think also, the tools and the processes have been uh, easier to, and it's getting people to start doing different types of games that necessarily don't fit into the quote unquote game uh, idea yeah. of, of traditional AAA games. But do you, do also, you think, in yeah. some respects, also that I guess when we're talking about those those bigger companies, the mm-hmm. the big quote unquote AAA companies, yeah. uh, do you think there's some sort of influence that like a, the marketing and those sorts of things that looking at the almighty dollar that that does that have any sort of bearing at all on some of those creative decisions oh i I think wrongly of course yeah i think the same way you think of like blockbuster movies right there's like if you watch enough of these or play enough of these games there is they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars and they expect it to hopefully do you know a, a multiple of that return yeah and that that usually means trying to uh attract as many folks as possible and that usually means uh, sort of uh, smoothing out any rough edges that might ruffle some feathers, right? Like nothing super yeah, controversial, uh, you know. Let's be generic in some ways. Yes, and like yeah. a politically motivated game will 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 say no, no, no. This game is not about politics, right? Like there's uh, there's yeah, plenty of examples you. of that. Yeah, and we hear more and more of that these days. Yeah, right. So then I, I think you know. They're doing things, you know, and, and to to some to their credit, like Ubisoft has done some really interesting characters, and in, um, like with the Assassin's Creed Origin, like the story they told yep. and, the, and the and the type of characters in there. I was like, yep. I was really really impressed with that. Um, and there, you do see some of it, right? But they're definitely they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars, and they're looking to get it in front of as many folks as possible. Yeah, um, there's the return that they're still factoring in. Yeah, and then there's public investment. companies and stock prices and all this stuff. So like, and they're and they're employing thousands of people to work on these titles, right? Yep. So uh, I think there's certainly 
different considerations when you're at that scale. Where at my scale, where I have nine folks, um, yes, we still have to, like, I want to keep people employed and uh, uh, yeah, food know, on the table and food all that. on the table, the whole thing. Well, like, we can take a little more risk and not have to uh, essentially, you know, attract every single player that's playing a console PC slash mobile game, right? So we could take a little more risks with it, uh, with small, smaller budgets and things like that. Yeah. So. And so when it came to those those risks, obviously there is the mm-hmm. uh, yeah the, the cultural aspect that we were talking about there. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you looking to kind of explore as you've kind of committed to that sort of decision? We we want to explore different cultures, diversity, those things. And then how did you go about trying to achieve that? What were you looking at? Kind of were there certain boxes that you wanted to tick, certain um, things that you wanted to approach, those sorts of things? Um, I mean, I think the uh, first was getting hiring folks. Um, from different backgrounds and different, you know, yeah. I think currently we have more women on the team than men, um, which I feel good about. Um, and just, and folks all over, we have a couple folks from uh, Brisbane right now too. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, concept artists I heard from Chennai, India, and we have some Canadians and we have different people all over the place. So it's, uh, it's been good to like, um, different voices. Kinda, uh, different voices. Um, and at the same time, um, the kind the new stuff we're doing also has very uh, different themes that ha- hasn't been explored in game space, uh, which is Fantastic. super super risky. Uh, but we're excited about it, and hopefully it'll be received well when we're ready to talk about it. But uh, so it's a combination. Feel free to of, talk about uh, it all today if you like. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's a combination of the sort of the type of game, um, and also who's making the game. I think is also important. Um, yep. There's, because there's, there's, you know, certain perspectives that I don't have that I we hired for too, just to make sure we're covering yep. um, certain perspectives that aren't out there too, or, or that we're not uh, uh, blind to, I guess. So, yeah. Um, so you know, like when all this COVID stuff started, I was in the middle of pitching projects uh, in February. So there's a show called Dice. Not the company, yeah, base, but yeah, yep. the one the one in Vegas, and it's like a, it's like if you heard of GDC, it's like a smaller version of that. Um, yep. Most you know a lot of studio executives and like leads of studios, and it's like very small. It's like a, you know, GDC is like 20,000 folks, and a PAX yeah, okay. is like a PAX is like a hundred thousand folks, right? Over four. Very days. different audiences, obviously. Those, uh, those dice, I think, is yeah, I think dice is like a thousand, right? Yeah. So, some students and a lot of well, mostly just game devs and you know studio heads and whatever and it's a good place to pitch a project so yeah it's got more uh, of a business focus right it has it yeah. has had a business focus but they're trying to be a lot more diverse with the type of things uh so i, I ran a round table there this year which is uh, <laughs> uh timely enough was about running remote game studios because that's oh. what i've been what i've been doing for the last three years um he's hoping lots of people were listening to that then yeah yeah i mean it was time it was also for me to kind of learn about from other folks like we had other i mean there's people like from riot that's also have people all over the place and how does that work because they have like they have one big space but there's you know fully international team and how do you how do you work on a team when you're when you're you know farther away and so that was a really good discussion and it was again really timely because right after dice all the stuff happened um um so yeah it was uh, um So I had three projects. We had three kind of sort of rough ideas of what we wanted to do next. Um, 
And so we were going out and uh, pitching those, talked to a bunch of partners. Uh, I, and, I, and I've never done this before, where usually I'll go with one project that we like have working prototype and we'll start like looking for funding or whatever. Um, with this approach, this we did- a specific path you want to go down. Yeah, so this one I was like more like, oh, I'm pretty, we're pretty early on. Here's some three ideas. Uh, you know, what do you think? It was more like to get kind of gauge feedback from folks, from possible yeah. partners. Like, is this interesting? Are any of them interesting? Is one more interesting than the other? And so it was sort of the order of the pitches were something that's more comfortable, something a little more unique. And the third one was like really out there. Um, yeah, okay. So we were kind of also figuring out internally which one we want to work on. And, and uh, as an independent studio trying to release games now, it's like, you want to try to do as much as possible to stand out, right? And that's from the name to the art, the style of the game, anything that's a, that's a differentiator. It's uh, a very busy marketplace these days. Right, yeah. So it's really hard to stand out. So the third game was definitely the riskiest, but also the one that people seem to like the most um, because it stood out. Uh, funny funny about that. That's, that's, often, that's often the case. <laughs> um, I have no idea how it's going to do when when it's time to come out, but that's sort of what we're working on. We're kind of solving. So what you do is at prototype stage is like you have an idea for a game, but it's like you have to kind of prove things out and see if it yeah. turns into something playable. And that's where we are right now. Currently, we're like, um, we know what Still the game is. Still a lot of exploration. What was that? Yeah. Still a lot of exploration. Yeah. So we have a pretty good idea what the game is, and certain things are working, certain things aren't. So we kind of just like kind of chip away at it till it's at a good place. And yep. then I'll yeah then I'll end up showing to other dev friends and kind of watch them play over Zoom since I can't go play test with them directly anymore. But uh, see what works, see what doesn't, and then then we try to find a partner to partner up with, hopefully. So so I mean, just focusing on your watching someone play test over Zoom, what, what mm -hmm. sort of challenges does that bring compared to the, the normal experience of being able to you know peer over someone's shoulder or? or watch the recording back or whatever the case is. How, how, how's that like for you to try and, I guess, replicate the, the traditional experience? Yeah. But ultimately. It's, it's, it's working pretty well. Like, cause I mean, like some, sometimes friends and I'll do this with other dev friends, like they'll send me a build and I'll just record myself like reacting it. to it as I play it. And that's like a really good feedback. Cause we can tell, I mean, head cam plus game footage, like, are they getting lost in this space or the menus or concepts aren't clear those are like really really valuable and that's the reason i love like bringing a demo to pax yeah because over, over four days you get a bunch of random folks coming by and they'll sit and Varying play levels it. of experience yeah and yeah. if they stay playing it or if they bounce that's also all great data you can see like where the points are and over a couple of days you like you get a sense of what common things that people run into and that's really good um, so yeah. what about if, if we rewind a little bit from the, the current works back to, to mm -hmm. Falcon Age a little bit yeah. and being uh, the Im implementation of the Falcon and how all that worked. And I'd imagine yeah. there would have been a lot of iteration and refinement on that and then mm -hmm. bringing it to conventions and those sorts of things. Yeah. What what was that particular? Because that's obviously one of the really key pillars of that game. Yeah. Um, what was it like kind of working on that aspect and implementing that and sourcing feedback? Obviously, you didn't have a, a worldwide pandemic to contend with when it comes to right. playtesting. Yeah, but, so, um, um, so I was saying while we were kind of at Uber finishing up stuff, we were building on a, building a prototype in our spare time. And uh, I was taking that prototype, and it was VR prototype. So it was, I would take it to some friends. I, I, I took it over to Valve, showed them what they're working on. Um, I 
I, t- I took it a bunch of folks that were in the VR space just to get their feedback on it, and yep. that's super useful. And the demo was like a five-minute demo. So the thing, the way I like to build things, especially when I'm pitching or like trying to get an idea across, is like focus on the very unique aspects of it and build that. Yeah, okay. Right. So for Falcon Age, it's about having this virtual pet on your hand. So demo starts, you whistle for the bird, it flies in from like on the horizon and lands. And that's like a big moment. That scale change in VR is, is really oh, magical. Oh, that's huge for me. Yeah. yeah. And I knew even, so it was funny because we were prototyping with like in Unity um, and we had, I, I think I downloaded a really rough, like terrible eagle model or something to prototype. We didn't have any animations yeah, okay. work. We just had like basic flight and just that first moment with, with really bad animation, it just like scaling and landing. It was like, oh yeah, I think there's something there. Right. So let's explore that. Yeah. Um, and then we just re- refined and we, t- we did a lot of animation custom animation stuff to make that work um so the demo was like flying and you can feed it you can pet it obviously and the headlock stuff is there like like the, the yeah, chicken, chicken yeah. head cam yeah which a lot of the birds do um they do that because uh if they're on a branch on a tree and they're they're looking at a prey for hunting they can keep their head still tracked on that thing while the wind kind of you know moves the branch and things like that so it's like there's, oh, a okay. func- there's a functionality to that yeah i don't know why chickens do it because they don't, they don't hunt but <laughs> <laughs> usually they're on the receiving end unfortunately um so we wanted to like so there's m- moments like that i try we try to get across in a demo right and then we did a sample where you walk through and you like attack a drone and then go pick up items of some kind and yeah. then at the at the end of the demo the falcon gets attacked and it dies oh morbid end <laughs> uh well it gets hurt and you're not you're unsure yeah the idea right. at least in my head i was like well i guess if you want to see more of it you're gonna to have to fund this thing you know so <laughs> that that's that's a ploy and i i appreciate that a great deal uh i mean it wasn't like that it was more more like could we get an emotional reaction for the thing you just spent five minutes doing and we did yes. right like yeah i'm with you like like how how quick can you bond with a a polygonal, badly modeled bird, and it seems like it's the eye contact pretty well. Uh, pretty well, yeah. Um, and that was like a really rough demo. It didn't look that good, it, but it it got sort of the big beats, like emotional beats. Uh, it's kind of the way I yeah. think about uh, a prototypes or game design across, um, like the idea of bonding, feeding, having it do things for you, and then possibly getting hurt. And those are like the big moments um, in the demo. Yeah, with the, yeah. The demo was like five, six minutes, so it wasn't really long. But that was enough for us to um, start that project. So, yeah. And I mean, uh, the final product is fantastic. It's I, I adore that game. I was really excited in the lead up to the whole thing, and I, mean, cool. I had my my PSVR, and I understood that okay, it's it's going to support traditional controls as well. Mm-hmm. But I had no intent to play it any other way. <laughs> but what was what was yeah. that like actually um, developing a game that is based like the, the VR concept was at the forefront there? Yeah. But then you were developing with traditional controls in mind as well. Does that um, h- how does that impact that design process? And what little sort of tweaks did you have to go through? And you know the, the various factors and anything that you may change for traditional controls how does that then impact the vr sure. and vice versa yeah what yeah was so like? that was um so that kind of came out of several reasons first was we had a non-vr mode to kind of test quickly 
because during the day, if you're like, I'm like putting a headset on, hitting play in Unity, testing thing, turn the headset off, and you do that like 100, 200 times a day, it gets Probably not really, good for you. yeah, it gets really like, it's not like sitting down and playing a game and then taking the headset off and you're done. It's like we're kind of yeah. constantly doing this back and forth. Um, so we did a we, we implemented just for ourselves a non-VR game so we can quickly like. Because if I'm laying out like a, 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 a scenario in the game, I don't necessarily need to see it in VR all the time. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just moving, Absolutely. setting up the space or level design or uh, setting up a scenario with some enemies or whatever, or person talking or writing dialogue. Like, um, Of course, we do a test in VR, but a lot of those things are easier in non-VR and during production. So we yeah. made, a, made a flat version. And then as we were starting developing, I was like, you know, it'd be really nice to get, having just finished two VR games uh, on PlayStation, I also was thought about, like, I want more people to play our game too, experience it. Yeah. Because there's the VR aspect of it, but there's also the theme and the story, this anti-colonial story um, that I, I, was, I, I think also kind of stands on its own, hopefully. And I, I think it's, sure. it's certainly more interesting in VR for the bird stuff, but... Uh, we ended up supporting. There's a lot of custom animation stuff that's only in the non-VR version, right? Like, because the hand interaction. Go back and dabble in that then. Yeah, the hand interactions, the all the things you can do with the bird, are uh, like making a heart. You know, making a heart shape yeah, and the I bird going one. through. Like you, you can't replicate that in VR, but then you can't replicate the the feeling of petting the bird and having it lock eyes with you and bringing it close to you in non-VR. So there's like trade-offs, right? So we yeah, we try okay. to we try to implement things that works great in VR and implement things that work great non VR, but really what that ended up doing is doubling our work. It was a lot of work. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose yeah, yeah, custom animations, for example, like you just mentioned, yeah, yeah you're yeah. creating extra things to do. <clears throat> it was a lot of work, but it was also our fourth project together as a team, the core team, because um, we had worked yeah. together previously in other projects and and two pre previous VR games. I think if we hadn't done two previous VR games, there would no way we would try to uh, attempt to do also do a non-VR game because it's, it's it's so much work. Um, but that experience helped. That experience helped, and we kind of knew, like looking at the timetable for like the schedule and what we had to do. Um, um, There's still a lot of things like we didn't do well, um, and so we, we've been working on some updates for it too, um, and some other platforms possibly. But nothing to talk about yeah, okay, today, good. but. No, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I respect that. Yeah, so you know we're looking at updating the game more, and I think we did patch a couple times, but there's more content and sort of flow of the thing that we weren't completely happy with. So it's a live game, so we can you know update it and tweak it any time. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so no, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So I assume that then obviously yeah you've developed several VR games at this point, um, and this this new project. Sorry, just to make sure I was clear that. That's looking like it's that's a VR based thing as well, or are you looking to go down a similar path where you're um, straddling both? Or so this new, new one is a non VR game, just because the, okay. the theme and the type of sort of gameplay we want to do it worked better in non VR. Yep. Um, yeah, and really that we're not like locked into VR or non VR. It's just like sort of the creatively what what's interesting project? and what works uh, for this particular thing. I think it works a lot better in non-VR. Um, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I we're... assume there's a lot. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go for it. Please, no, go for it. Yeah. So uh, while we were doing the Falcon Age update stuff, we start prototyping things, and then we also uh, did a PSVR version of Tip Brush, 
uh, yeah. last year too. Because um, our friends, one of the first pe- people I met uh, when I got into VR stuff was uh, the Tilt Brush team. So we've been friends for years. And uh, after we launched Falcon Age, they were like, hey, we're looking for somebody to help us with the PSVR version. So it was fun to work on that. That was like one of my favorite things ever. Um, one of the first things I experienced in VR. It's just a fantastic thing. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Is there a lot that you... So you're obviously going from a VR slash non-VR game mm-hmm. back into a traditional non-VR title. Mm-hmm. Um, is is there a lot that you can still bring you with you these these experiences and lessons you've learned from developing on a VR platform or in some cases exclusively for a VR platform mm-hmm. that then still apply to the traditional experience or are they still quite detached from one another in lots of different ways? No, no, because when you're developing VR, like losing frame rate and performance it like literally hurts right to put on a headset if it's not performant um traditional gaming usually it's just it's slow and buggy and unplayable for majority of the production and then you start optimizing at the end yeah so we're a lot more uh aware of sort of performance issues in the earlier stages and we kind of make choices based on that because we we want it to run well (laughs) Yes. Um, so a lot of those principles, I think, are applying to even our non-VR projects, trying to keep things a little more performant uh, earlier in production to uh, to show it off to people or whatever to make sure it works well. So there's definitely, I mean, there's some uh, game design things we learned. That, that's a great thing about doing VR games. It's like I got to try to explore in different sort of game design paradigms because there isn't yeah. sort of like the established guidebook for fps games there is now or for yeah. open world games or whatever um so that it's was still fun. very open yeah um so that, that was really fun and, and there's a lot of the sort of the same kind of idea of thinking that we can apply to non-vr games too in terms of design approach and uh tech approach and performance and things like that too so. yeah fantastic so like i said we can't we can't dive into this title in any real significant way shape or form if there's a slight little tease out there, when potential fans of this title, but also fans of your previous mm-hmm. works, yeah, uh, is there any sort of indication as to when people might get to first? I mean, obviously the the whole world pandemic thing throws a yeah. curveball in there as well. Yeah. But uh, any indication when people might first get to lay eyes on what this new project happens to be? Yeah, I mean, you're somewhere within the development pipeline, of course. Yeah, I mean, we're we're ideas, super but- early. Like it could be. Two years from now, it could be a lot earlier, depending on how we decide to announce it and when we decide to announce it. And because there's sort of one aspect of it where like it's super fun to work on this, and I want to share every aspect of it on Twitter every single day, right? Yeah. Uh, And then there's like, I don't know. There's different. I don't know. You know, like marketing a game is this whole topic on itself, and what works and what doesn't work, and keeping your cards close to your chest in some ways. Yeah, and a lot of it, sometimes it's like, there may be potential partners that want to work with us. They don't want to, they want to save the announcement for something, you know, like a, a, a bigger event. Um, yeah. And if we kind of talk about it now, maybe that, that affects that. But like, so a lot of that, a lot of those uh, things, like right now we're kind of just heads down on getting the thing playable and proving out a lot of the ideas. Uh, and then we can start thinking about like, okay, what's the next step? Do we partner up with somebody? Do we get it on this platform? Do we do this platform? You know, and do we do it on our own? You know, there's all these considerations and yeah, it makes sense. Um, so we're kind of not at that step to even think about how we announce it yet. But I think the project will be will take to, uh, to start to finish 
it'll take a couple of years. Uh, that's it. That's right. People yeah. can be. Uh, People can thoroughly enjoy these various <laughs> updates, for example, that are coming to Falcon Age and those sorts of things in the yeah, meantime yeah, and, yeah. and look um, forward to whatever comes next. Yeah, thematically, I'll say it's certainly in line with the stuff we did Falcon Age and, and, and sort of the goals for our studio, Outer Loop, uh, for uh, telling diverse stories and underrepresented cultures and themes. Um, uh, That's awesome to hear. Genre-wise, it's, I don't, it's way out there. <laughs> I'll say that. Okay. Okay. I'm looking forward to it then. <laughs> Watch this space. Yes. So as we begin to wind things down, we'll cycle a little bit back more towards you and specifically your career and some of your experiences. Mm-hmm. Is there is there anyone out there in particular uh, that really inspires you and in the way you approach your work? Anyone that you've worked with or maybe currently work alongside or you've watched from afar that you, um, you maybe try and model yourself on in some ways? Yeah, um, for sure. And... Uh... I happen to be lucky that they're also a friend. Um, uh, Amir, Amir, and the Supergiant crew, um, who I got, oh, to yeah, meet, okay. who I got to meet. They were right next to us at PAX West in 2010 when they showed off Bastion for the first time. Yep. And there were a thing called the PAX 10, which was like this, you know, like a sort of up and coming indie space where they pick the ten best titles. And they show up at their own yeah. booth and they were like right next to us. And I went over and played the Bastion demo and I was like, oh my effing God, this thing is amazing. How are they doing this? And I had to meet everybody and like Amir is like a brilliant, uh, I mean, all the whole team, Greg, Amir, uh, you know, like Gen Z is probably my favorite art director of all the video games. I like, she does amazing work every single project. And that whole team is like a bunch of rock stars, you know, like. The music, the sound, the design, the, the the packaging, like everything. Like I try to emulate. I'm like, what would what would Supergiant do in this this scenario? So it's uh, like I'm Given like really their track record. That's a good question to ask yeah, yourself. I think every yeah, single time. Think, you know, like as as a team, uh, people I look up to, like uh, them for sure, they come to mind. And and people like you know Clay, uh, also like Jamie Chang, and the thing they they've been doing over the years also uh, been amazing. And um had a lot of chat with like the Campo Santo folks who are here locally now. So I get to, I get to see them. Yeah. Um, but I really look, I really like what, you know, like Firewatch did and what, um, I, I got to go check out Alex before it was out. And so it was fun to play through that. Would that would be a bit of a thrill. Have you played it? No, I, I don't, I don't have the necessary VR. The only VR uh, platforms I've got access to are P- is PSVR at the moment. So, um, I'm watching from afar. I'm impressed from afar. And I'm hoping that one day I'm either equipped to to do it or it comes across to PSVR or whatever kind of combination of permutation of events transpires so that I can actually try it out myself. I got to the ending. I'm not going to say anything about the ending, but the ending, I got to the ending and it happened and I took my headset off. I was like, holy F, real loud. And everybody else is there watching. Everyone about, you know, the team was there. And I was like, yeah, if you're a Half-Life fan, it's like insane what they did like they they went to places where i did not expect them to go and it's it's an amazing game yeah i mean um and we were talking obviously about the teaching and those sort of things before one of the yeah. kids that i teach he's, he's only 14 15 but he's just this devout half-life and just anything valve kid yeah and we've jumped into this whole remote teaching thing and the, all the circumstances around that and my i got just this message just pinged on my system she said oh my god i just got to the end of half-life and, not, and I said, just shut up stop stop i don't want to know anymore i can't play it don't it's um yeah. like he was just completely blown away and sounds like in a similar fashion to what you were so yeah i look forward I, to one of these days experiencing that myself 
Yeah, because I'll say when I was at Bethesda early on, I was playing through Grim Fandango. I remember this because I was staying there late playing yeah. through because I didn't have a P- good PC at home. I was playing on the you know computer at work and the yeah. I think it, I was playing it, and then around that time, uh, Half Life One came out, and I started playing yeah. that instead. And I Just never, I, I never went back to Grim Fandango. I think it killed Half Life killed adventure games for me that day. Like. So to it, this day, still not replayed. Grim no, Fandango? I no, I haven't played replayed it. I should, I should, but like, that's my memory of Grim Fandango. It's like I, I was partially through it, and then I binged Half Life for like three days straight, and it was, you know, at that time where FPSs were and what the, what Half Life was doing, revolutionary. Revolutionary, yeah. Uh, and sorry so. to Tim Schafer and the team, and, and <laughs> I mean, I I had told we'll Tim, make this I, right I, one day. I, I got to know Tim, and I told him, like, you know, he's the reason I got into game development, because of Full Throttle. So, like, you know, he's a big inspiration for sure. Um, which probably sorry him, I didn't finish Grim. <laughs> yeah, which probably makes him feel old, because he wasn't that old when he did uh, Full Throttle. So. Yeah, definitely early days for Tim. <laughs> what have been some of the more valuable lessons that you've learned along the way? Anything in particular about your approach to design or yeah. designing um, for particular flat platforms or whatever? I think I think the biggest lessons are just, like, work with folks... I mean, working with the right crew of, of, of folks, um, uh, you know, will get you like and surrounding yourself with people that are talent, more talented than you. Like a lot of those kind of things that, whatever weakness you have, like hire for that or, or work with other folks that can that that, that can um, supplement that. Uh, I, I I love our team right now. It's been really good. Um, it's a little harder with all of all of this going on to like have sort of this. Yeah. camaraderie and stuff so like like yesterday we had a we have an outer loop social on thursday so it's like we did the first one where we played a bunch of games and just sat around and chatted about sort of our dream games and things like that so uh, as i get older like those kind of relationships and the people i've gotten to meet over the years and like knowing the like the super giant like those kind of folks that's what i i loved about going to shows is having dinners or getting to hang out with folks learning. and yeah and learning and just kind of like talking to folks and so that was sort of the balance for me where working from home, like I'm, I'm at the house and sometimes I don't wear pants because why, why do you need to, uh, why do, who needs to, and then balancing that with like going to shows at dice and GDC and like hanging out with yeah. those, those friends. And like, I really, really miss that. Um, so we're trying to do where to be things. clear. You're absolutely wearing pants in those scenarios. Just, yes. Yes. Just for the, for the listener you, out there. You have to, I think to get out of the plane. <laughs> um, those relationships are things that I, I like, I really, really feel fortunate to I, I'm fortunate to feel like I have a really long career and, and the things that I'm a lot of those folks helped me when I started and I'm trying to help any sort of upcoming studios and folks on Twitter or whoever wants advice yeah, like I'm, 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 I'm freely give it like I've, I love that sort of sharing and, and the community is really 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 good uh, in general like between developers yeah. and, and, and um, those relationships are, are important so there you go no uh, so and the highlights uh, any particular highlights from the whole journey? Obviously, you've got been able to work on a film franchise that you loved in the form of Matrix. Yeah. You've worked on Elder yeah. Scrolls. There's a co- you know co-founding Outer Loop. There's so many little things along the way. Is there anything in particular that really sticks out? You know, you're having a rough day, or the the weight of this COVID situation gets a bit much at times. But yeah, you go well. I've got that, and that's always something I'm going to look fondly upon. I'm I just keep looking like every like I've, I've been making games for 23 years and I'm, I love it I love it so much I can't imagine doing anything else so I feel super fortunate that I get to do this working from home with a very talented crew and um, really like 
I don't know. It's it's certainly a dream job or dream setup for me. Like, especially in the last three years, starting our loop and being able to like work with different folks that I I, I admire and and reaching out to folks yep. and um trying to kind of tell stories that we don't normally tell. So like that's this certainly I'm I'm living the life. I'm good. <laughs> no, that's that's fantastic to hear. Yeah. Now the uh, the next question it's the kind of the last curly one that I have for people, but I suspect okay. given the conversation we've had so far, I might even already know the answer. Yeah. If you could be credited for any game that's ever existed, so retroactively, we just chuck your name in the credits there, in whatever yeah. capacity you might like it to be, Yeah. what game would it be? I'm curious to know whether it's Fallout 3 or not. <laughs> oh. Um, I'm going to say Inside. Oh, yeah, okay. I that's that fantastic don't, title. That I don't even know. I understand game development, but the ending of that game and the pacing of that game... And the storytelling of that game in a very linear, like this running a character left to right and all the moments yeah. and a lot of Spielberg, Spielberg-like uh, sort of approaches to storytelling. Um, that just, it's like, it's magical to me, like playing that game. Because I don't, I I know, I know how they built, I mean, I think I know how they built it, but there's aspects of it that it just, it, it yeah, it's like magic. So I would, I would love to be... I've been part of that process. Um, Very good choice. That yeah. that ending does still confuse me immensely, though. Yeah, like I'm still I'm still not a hundred percent clear. I'm sure if I did some diving through the internet, yeah, I might get more confused actually. Yeah, I I don't think I mean Fallout Three would have been amazing. I I'm just not like where I am in my life. I I'm not. I don't want to like command a big team or be part of a, this bigger yeah. team. I just it doesn't interest me as so much as. Oh, you could be you could be credited as special thanks for all for for all weekend. That, that, that's fine as well. What what about you? That, that one that what? one time that they gave me a ring and I just said, "Oh, look, you know, do this and uh, fix the whole fix the whole project." What about me? No one's yeah. actually asked me that before. Yeah. especially as someone who's not not in game design itself. I mean, I have to try and separate my biases from my favorite game, which is Final Fantasy IX. Oh, um, ooh, to, that's a good. To, one. to anything, yeah. I mean, I guess. The, and then separate that from these days, my, my great love of basically anything Naughty Dog does, for example. Yes. Um, Amazing. Oh, Jeez, you really caught me on the spot here. I, I should I should have kept that answer in the back of my head in case anyone ever asked. <laughs> well, look, look, for the sake of this, I'll have to think about it more going forward. But let, let's say Final Fantasy IX for now because that's just that, that game and the the narrative that uh, uh, that Square Enix pursued in that particular case and the timing that it came out in my particular life just really, really still impacts me to this day. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll list that without having, well, being kind of caught on the spot there. I didn't yeah. realise the curly question to turn around and get me, but you've you've prompted something here. This is going to bug me now for a while. There you go. So I'll, I'll add a second game to my list, Animal Crossing. I want to know everything about making of Animal Crossing because it just, I'm 380 hours into it. You're talking about New Horizons? The New Horizons. Yeah. And I, it's my first one, by the way. I haven't played the other ones. Okay. Uh, and I don't even know how they do the amount of things they do um, from a technical standpoint. And, like, yeah. I, I, the choices they make. I, I know, obviously, there's a lot of long history and there's a lot of the characters that come back and all that stuff. But, like, that game is just... I love it. It's, it's so incredible good. in a lot of ways. Yeah. I don't, I don't quite understand it, but it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Well, Eka, it's been fantastic having you on the show today and thank you very, very much for, for sharing your story and your experiences and we're, I think we're all looking forward to seeing what this new, very crazy project ends up being um, and you, you don't know, anticipate it. Oh, yeah. You don't know how much I want to share it because I just want to start 
It's so fun. Anyway, another time. Yeah, I, we, we all look forward to that, uh, and I can't wait to kind of see that excitement uh, pop up all over Twitter and and in whatever format it ultimately gets presented in. Uh, but if people want to follow your uh, follow what you're up to and mm-hmm. interact with you in any way and be ready for when those excited tweets do come out, where would they be best to go? Um, I'm yeah, I'm mostly active on Twitter, so at Ekanaut E K A N A U T or at Outer Loop Games is where we are fantastic so you can reach out there i mean that's that's how we ultimately got in uh, got in touch there uh drinking wine ama uh worked out perfectly for us in the end um that was great by the way i should do that again that was fun <laughs> oh really so there are lots of really other fun and uh conversations spin off that awesome. yeah um but uh, yeah as i said thank you very much for coming aboard and sharing your story and your experiences and and a lot of insight into the various games you've worked on over the journey. It's been a really fascinating listen for me um, and been a thrill to be able to talk to you about it. And hopefully the listeners have really enjoyed it in just the same way. So we're all looking forward very much to what's coming next. Thank you very much. Thank you for doing this. This has been great. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Ecker's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.